Hi, everyone. Welcome back. My name is Terrence Fox, the head of innovation with iAdvise, and thank you again for joining our Conversation With series. Uh, we had a brief of a hiatus from our last call with Patrick Waller, the director of e-commerce for Otter Products, which includes OtterBox, LifeProof, Luviri Solutions, etc. cetera. Uh, so I'm back. I'm refreshed. Uh, the whole team's feeling great. Uh, but we're headed into a month jam-packed with conversations from innovators, thought leaders, and disruptors. Uh, so we've got a lot to look forward to. Today, we're going to change things up a bit. Usually, I start these conversations with some recent trends, uh, some data from McKinsey and uh, other retail leaders, and then eventually segue to our guest speaker. But uh, due to today's conversation, which I will call a, a powerhouse agenda of sorts, uh, we're going to cut right to the chase. So why today is important is I'd say it's a, a culmination of what 2,000 plus brands are doing today and the gold nugget insights we can capture from the conversations that occur with their consumers every day, every moment on their site. So there's obviously a lot to share. And I'd like to cut right to it by introducing the US CEO of iAdvise. His name is Nicholas DeRozan. Uh, Nicholas opened the US office in 2017 after a Series C funding. Nico, nice to see you. I see Fritz cut you in earlier today. Uh, I'm not done with your presentation yet, Nico. Give me a second. Uh, but obviously, Nicholas has helped shape the way that brands are modernizing their engagements with consumers today uh, and has been a large part of the, the vision iAdvise has globally uh, on how to humanize the digital experience at scale and make it profitable. So, uh, Nico, you can hear me. Welcome. Hey, Terrence. Good to be here. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for joining, Nico. It's always a pleasure. Um, I want to start with my favorite questions just to kind of get the audience into your head a bit. Uh, what are you reading these days? Uh, so the book I've selected is actually not one that I'm reading those days, one I read a few years ago, but I found it so inspiring that I'm still uh, reflecting on it. It's um, Sapiens by, I think the author is called Yuval Noah Harari. Yeah. Um, very inspiring in the sense that it got me to reflect on how and where I fit in the billions of humans that are roaming this planet. And it was a real lesson of uh, humility. Yeah, I remember uh, reading that myself. I was fascinated, uh, little things about how we've evolved to birth children mm. uh, compared to, I think, a cult they mentioned in the book. Uh, and why our gestation cycle is so different. It was uh, it does put things in perspective. I can relate to that. Um, my next point that I wanted to bring up, because we're all consumers, Nico. You know, normally we're on the other side working with brands and, and helping them modernize how they engage. But as a consumer, put your shopping hat on for a second, Nico. Um, what was a, a memorable, memorable experience you've had in your own past? Uh, something stand out that maybe made you loyal to a brand for good? Uh, was there a certain experience that you've had? I definitely have one experience that stands out uh, that came from a car accident I had two years ago. So not such a good event uh, initially. My insurance was Geico and they provided me an amazing experience throughout the week that followed that car accident, which is, I'd say it's a pretty uh, intense time in terms of emotions. Uh, they were on top of things. Uh, 
typical example is that I was in the hospital, nothing severe, but still in the hospital. They called me to tell me that they would be delivering a car I could use for the next few weeks until things would get better. Uh, bottom line is that two years after, I still remember this experience. And it leads me to confirm that brands that are investing into a elevated customer experience is definitely worth the investment. Because I've been sharing this experience with so many people since then. Just right. look at now. There are probably a few thousand people that will be watching this uh, this live stream. And right. here again, I'm doing some advertising for Geico because their experience was a uh, was a was fantastic. Yeah, uh, I'm sure they appreciate the plug. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, so on that note, looking at today's consumer, obviously so much has changed this year, Nico. Um, if you were to look ahead in January and Imagine the sort of uh, e-commerce growth we've seen year over year pre-pandemic. Uh, it probably would have been a little awe-inspiring and jaw-dropping. But under today's new circumstances, consumers have changed. Their habits have changed. The way they buy has changed. Um, I, I think to just open the floor in general, what are you seeing that consumers are doing and how have they changed? Yeah, it's definitely been a roller coaster year in 2020 and it's not over yet, right? Um, based on the, um, the hundreds of customers that we assist in building their digital CX, the first thing is that we haven't really seen any new trends. We have more seen an acceleration of uh, existing trends. Mm. Um, the first one is the investment, stronger investment in digital CX. Um, for so CX has always been top of mind for executives in retail. Uh, actually, I think it's been on service provided by Forrester. It's always been a number two priority right. after the uh, digital transformation. And one obvious reason to understand why we are seeing this acceleration, acceleration investment is with stores closing or just the food traffic dropping in stores, very naturally, the proportion of revenue coming from online became much more significant. And when you have more than 50% of your revenue that's coming from online, of course, it is getting more attention from uh, executives and more investments will be going into this uh, direction. So that's quite obvious. But there is something else that we are seeing is many brick and mortar brands, um, when you ask them to describe their brands, very naturally, they tend to use the example of the stores. Think of Lowe's, right? You walk into a Lowe's store, uh, you will see the thousands of SKUs, the breadth of the product offering. You will see their, uh, the smell of the wood. You'll have the uh, DIY advisors that will help you in your refurbishment project. It's a very intense experience. You could also have the same thing with Sephora, right, in the, in the cosmetics and beauty industry. But with the shift of in-store to online, uh, the challenge was to transfer this excellent customer experience because the online experience is very different. It's more right. self-service. You're exposed to maybe a few dozens of products. Uh, you have to find out your answers, the, 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 the answers by yourself. Uh, so very different experience. And clearly, businesses have identified the need to transfer that in-store experience to online, which again justifies those additional investments that we are seeing in uh, digital CX. Yeah, so you, you've hit the nail on the head, right? Because Otherwise, your website acts like a brochure. And at a time mm -hmm. when it's, you know, your business depends on the performance mm -hmm. of your website and the brochure at its current state, 
you need to have that same in-store experience. So uh, I understand brands are throwing money at this and investing in digital CX, but, but what are they actually doing so that when you're not in a Lowe's store, you still smell the sawdust on Lowe's.com as an example? Yeah, I think uh, there are a whole list of initiatives, but the one that uh, I think have the most value to be shared is one of them in the world of messaging. So everyone knows that chat with us button that they have on the website. Uh, what we are seeing is more sophistication on the content, the respondent that is actually engaging with the shoppers, right? Before you had the chat with us, now it's not only an in-house agent that will be engaging with the shoppers, it's gonna be a rich mix of respondents. Um, I'm, thinking, I'm taking the example of Samsung, uh, if you go on their website, you will see, uh, depending on where you are on your journey as a shopper, you might be connected to an in-house agent, nothing new here, or it could be to a retail associate, or again, it could be to a product expert, someone who's a member of the Samsung community, or again, it could be an AI, uh, AI bot. So that is also something new. Uh, the second initiative that is worth sharing is the video engagement. Now, this one is, is interesting because remember when we were all in lockdown? Uh, I see in your case, it's not quite finished, right? Oh, yeah. room. Of us still uh, are, yes. But I think, yeah, things, things are still getting better. One of the things that happened, if we started engaging by Zoom or Google Hangouts, or again, uh, WebEx, with everyone, all the stakeholders in the company, right? Your employees, your, your boss, uh, your vendors, your partners, that became very natural. But there is one stakeholder that's actually left out of this new way of engaging. That's the, the, the customer, right? the consumer. Right. And some brands have realized this. And now, for this reason, in order to add some incremental authenticity and expertise on the website, still in that rationale of transferring the in-store experience to the website, they are now offering some video engagement uh, capabilities on their, uh, on their website. Yeah, so that's very interesting. I, I want to take a step back to look at what you discussed in terms of the mix of respondents, because in that scenario, I think one thing that's particularly impressive about the Samsung example is they now have a respondent for each stage of the journey, right? So if it's a retail associate, maybe the visitor is concerned about going to the actual store and maybe they're more bottom of the funnel, they're there for advice. It's an in-house agent to talk about an order that they already placed or a passionate expert from the community to say, this is why I bought the Galaxy instead of an iPhone. Mm -hmm. So I think what's most impressive about that scenario is they've fully mapped out the customer journey and now have a respondent mix that reflects that. So, mm -hmm. uh, all right, so let's keep talking CX. Why is this strategic, Nico? Why, why is the addi addition of video and things like that uh, going to be long lasting and important for the brand? Um, so that's a good question. It's um, I think the best way to answer this is to remind a survey, a research that was done by Forrester to answer the question of why are shoppers buying uh, from specific brands retailers, right? Um, the answer, and they were focusing on the, the consumer energy, right? What drives the energy to, to actually make the transaction happen? The answer is that there are three reasons that explain that you, Terence, will buy from a, from a brand. The two first ones are quite obvious, meaning 25% of the reason is going to be the saliency, saliency as in the brand awareness. The other 25% are going to be the fit, 
are you going to be able to find the product that you're looking for on the uh, on the website? Right. right? Saliency fit. But the most interesting part of the research is the remaining 50%. The remaining 50% that explains why you buy with a specific brand is the emotions. Right? We are not rational people. We are emotional people. We take all of our decisions on based on emotions and we explain them afterwards based on rationality. And that emotions part is actually an opportunity for retailers and brands, especially when you think of Amazon, right? The elephant of the room. Everyone is, is, is concerned about the, 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 how quickly they are eating up market shares. Amazon is fantastic on those two first pillars, which is the saliency and the fit. If you want to buy some toothpaste, probably, personally, I directly think of Amazon. And then on Amazon, I know that I will find the product because they have absolutely everything. Right. But the experience is different. Let's think of another product. Uh, I know that you run a lot. Imagine that you need to buy some shoes for a marathon and you've never done a marathon before. If you go on Amazon, you'll be exposed to a list of hundreds of running shoes. So it doesn't provide you the experience in the sense of the initial step of the journey, right. which is the education and the inspiration. And this is where retailers and brands can stand out. They can provide that initial step which is the actual experience, the, the, the inspiration, education that shoppers are looking for before moving down the, uh, the journey. Right, and that's, that's true. You know, if we did look at running shoes as the example, um, it would be very easy to just feel like another number for Amazon, whereas my shoe of choice, Brooks, or a Saucony, which is my probably my number two, um, I, I go there because I have had experiences working with them in the past. I've had good conversations with them in the past. And the, the emotional connection I have with that brand now from previous successful shopping experiences has me going back. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, that's, I think, a very interesting tidbit for brands today on how they can steal back some of that market share from the giant, you know, uh, because it's true. Uh, saliency, you do think Amazon first for most of your needs. So how do we steal back from Amazon uh, through leveraging emotion? So what else are you seeing in the customer experience? Is there anything else that's been uh, top of mind with the clients? Yeah, definitely. Again, not a new trend, but a trend that has been accelerating. It's all the uh, bot self-service trend. I know that um, it's been adopted for a while, right? You've been seeing those chatbots on the websites quite a while, but We've seen over the past years significant resistance from brands on deploying them on a wide scale mm. because the, the perception, unjustified, is that a bot-only conversation is a low-quality kind of conversation, right? It can lead to some frustration on the shopper's perspective. So a lot of brands wanted to focus only on their contact center and in-house agents. But what's happened with COVID, remember the first month, think of the hospitality or the tourism industry. Um, thousands, if not millions of consumers had to reach out to the brands because they had bought a plane ticket or they had planned vacation on, uh, with a, a, on a cruise ship. Um, mm -hmm. And brands were all of a sudden overwhelmed by all of those customers that were coming in. So deploying AI bots became a necessity to be able to handle that kind uh, of scale. Right. And the new challenge that we are seeing now now that bots are being adopted on a wider um, on a wider scale, it's how do you define the right mix between human and bot? Because humans only great quality, but it's 
ROI is not so, is not good enough. Uh, it's not scalable and bot super scalable. But again, it doesn't provide the, the, the empathy, the, the, the uh, authenticity that brands are looking for. So it's about finding the right mix so that techs can actually uh, enhance the human aspect of a, of a uh, customer engagement. Yeah, I know we've talked about this in the past, the sort of negative incremental experience you can create mm -hmm. with a bot, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because I, frankly, am a brand's worst nightmare if they have an AI forward strategy, because the first thing I do when I'm connected to a bot on a phone is press zero a hundred times to try and get to an agent. I try and bypass it on chat. If there is no, uh, let's say, bot being used as an exoskeleton for a human-focused mission, it can be very frustrating. Yep. Um, I think uh, I want to talk now, Nico, about the role of stores. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw a study from McKinsey that came out, I think it was this morning or yesterday morning, they surveyed a thousand UK consumers and they were trying to get an understanding of the importance of the store and that physical experience of being in the store for those consumers. And they found that only 8% of those thousands, thousands that were surveyed uh, would go back in and enjoy that experience for the sake of being in an actual store. Uh, so 8% is significant. That's a very small amount of people. How are you seeing brands that have that brick and mortar presence leverage their stores and how has it evolved? So all brick and mortar uh, players in America, uh, Europe, and certainly the rest of the world are certainly at this moment rethinking the, the purpose of stores, right? Because the previous equation doesn't work anymore, considering that the food traffic has dropped. Um, so revenue from stores have dropped, but the cost of rent, the cost of the salaries for the in-store associate has not changed. Right. Stores, keeping things simple, used to be about selling products. What's From what I'm seeing is um, stores definitely have a role to play, but it's more than just selling products. Mm. Uh, they are now playing a, an important role in fulfillment. Uh, there is the example of the exporting goods, during Q2, sorry, the, the midst of the uh, of the COVID crisis, 75% of the products that they have shipped was actually shipped from the stores. Hmm. 75%. This is an, an impressive number. And it, it is a mix of different uh, fulfillment options. There is the ship from store. There is the curbside pickup. And you also have the uh, pickup in store. Right. Best Buy also launched an initiative to uh, use their stores for fulfillment with the ship from store from about 250 stores. Right. What this is interesting is that in the logistics industry, the biggest challenge is the last mile. This is the most expensive part of the whole uh, shipping part. So having some stores across America is definitely an advantage for brands who are able to leverage them uh, and be able to uh, fulfill more quickly and more efficiently the online needs of shoppers. Uh, on that vein, by the way, the fulfillment, what we are seeing is that the big winner of this uh, COVID uh, behavior change is going to be the curbside pickup. Right. Uh, even after this whole health crisis has ended, most shoppers are claiming that they will keep using this uh, fulfillment option. So that's definitely uh, something that has, that has evolved. Um, something else that stores are doing today is in the traditional journey, it used to be website um where you would you would uh, educate yourself as a shopper i right? think of the home improvement industry 
if you had to refurbish your, bef your bathroom, you would probably go on the Lowe's website to understand, get some content and educate yourself on what you, you, you had to do. And yeah. then you would go in the store to actually buy the product. We are now seeing that both touch points are being inverted in the customer journey, meaning that shoppers are now going to the store or the, the purpose of the store is more for the brand awareness. Right. To show the, the breadth of the product offering to uh, shoppers so that they know that at Lowe's we have everything. And then shoppers will go into online to actually buy the, uh, the specific uh, items that, uh, that they're looking for. So definitely not the end of the store, more the store that is being reinvented. And the, um, it does uh, lead very naturally to a challenge of being able to uh, accelerate the omnichannel strategy. Because more than ever, there is the need to connect the store to the uh, digital world. Yeah, and I, I think um, I may have mentioned in the last call, I've always been impressed with the buy online, pick up at store initiative. Mm. Frankly, in the past when it was launched, I didn't find myself as a consumer finding much interest in it. I figured I might as well get out of the car and go in and actually see it myself before ordering mm. it online. Um, but I have been impressed with how sticky it's been mm. and uh, other initiatives tied to it. I think I mentioned in the last call, it was Sam's Club, I believe, in April that launched that concierge service for those at risk for covid uh, where they'll actually come to your car with a tablet and it'll let you do the ordering from your car and they'll bring the products to you. Um, so it, it has been interesting to see how uh, Bopis by, by online pickup and store has evolved, uh, but also how the store has evolved, right? It still has a necessary need in the consumer journey. Uh, it might just have a slightly different role than it's used to having. So uh, moving on from stores, let's talk D to C, Nico, a, a title I'd say it seemed like overnight a few years ago, a title that was added to almost everyone's name on LinkedIn. Uh, what, what's going on in the world of D2C right now? Yeah, uh, D2C, direct consumers, has been around for a while, right? Initially driven by different reasons. Uh, one of them is that when brands would bypass the retailers, it's better margins because you don't need to share those margins with the retailer. It was also because some brands are paying so much attention to delivering an experience. If brands are not in control of the actual selling process of the transaction, it makes it harder to deliver an experience. It's also, it was also about being in direct contact with the consumer to get some data and therefore to improve your business decisions in the future. And all of this has been accelerated by some startups like Glossier, uh, which have disrupted the industry and forced some uh, industry leaders to, to, to develop similar strategies. Yeah. But what's happened with COVID is um, two things that have accelerated this shift because one obstacle for this change is that in deploying such a D2C strategy, you are competing with your partner retailers, right? Which can be not well perceived from your, from your, uh, from your partners. Uh, and therefore, many brands have decided not to go in this direction. But with COVID, two things happen. The first one is that because either stores were closed or the food traffic in stores dropped, it also means that the revenue coming from all of these retailers significantly dropped. Right. So Force brands to find alternative um, sources, drivers of revenue. And the second one, second reason that is even more obvious is that in the midst of the crisis, some retailers focused only on what they called essential products. So if as a brand, you were not selling some essential products, those retailers would even cut you from their inventory. 
as simple as this. It's not a drop in the, in the revenue. It's just their partners would tell them we're not selling you anymore. And that's, I remember one of our um, customer that is selling some um, hair trimming kind of products, not considered essential. They mm. lost 100% of the revenue in a matter of a few days because they are part they're, 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 they're the story of uh, what I've just shared. Right, so up some upside, or you know, they're cutting them free, right? From those kind of uh, awkward conversation to have when you're when you're pulling from a retail partner. Mm. Ah. Um, so, Nico, you're in a very unique situation, right? You have kind of a global view of of retail as it's evolved with the coronavirus from the EU spreading over to the US, mm. uh, and of course from I'll call it the a thousand mile overview point where you can see these major brands making major changes. Uh, and, you know, a nice thing, as I've said in the past, is some brands have never moved this quickly, but it's nice to see them evolve for consumers. Let's do some forward thinking here, Nico. What's next? What's around the bend? So I wish I had a crystal ball. Uh, what I can tell you is not anything new that's going to happen, uh, but more is going to be an ongoing continuation of the main trends that I have shared. Uh, what we also likely to see, and I don't think I'm taking many risks in sharing this, is that pure players and digital mature uh, retailers are going to emerge even stronger than before, right? Right. Um, and we've already seen this with the results on Q2, right? The, 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 the results of businesses like, uh, I've talked about Dix, I believe that the online sales increased by 192%. Yeah, uh, Best Buy uh, also uh, leading the pack with an increase of 242% of the online sales. Wayfair, Blue Play, a pure player, the online sales increased by 85%. So this is uh, this environment is uh, going to solidify the positioning of those uh, mature uh, digital players. Something else that we will see is. Uh, because stores will become an asset, as we've talked about, it will force some brick and mortar players to actually accelerate the digital transformation and deploy an omni-channel strategy to be able to compete with those um, industry leaders. Yeah, so um, I have always talked about the dinosaurs in the digital uh, space, right? Those that are not innovating, that are uh, kind of resisting this change we have seen a lot of brands fall into bankruptcy uh, and are struggling to come back out. Um, but I do find it interesting, right, when we think about the sort of digital changes we're making to our customer experience. I frankly feel that what we're doing now and the changes that are happening now are going to stick. You know, if someone can find that hey, it's a heck of a lot easier just to buy from my car, from Sam's Club or from my couch and have it delivered same day, uh, like Walmart just launched their Walmart Plus initiative to move against Amazon Prime to get in that space. I think that these changes are going to uh, stay. Uh, and the benefit, of course, for the brands that are keeping up is that they're building a foundation for what's to come. You know? Uh, all right, wonderful. So I think that takes us to the end of our uh, interrogation with the US CEO of iAdvise. Uh, Fritz, do we have any questions from the group today or will we be uh, taking those after the call? Don't think we will, because he would have probably already bothered us from that. So make sure you feel comfortable leaving questions on our live stream on Facebook, LinkedIn, et cetera. Uh, and of course, uh, the US CEO, Nicholas, will respond to that as well as myself. So feel free to call us out if you have a particular question. But Nico, it was, it was nice to have you here. Thank you for joining us. And, and thank you for making the time. Thanks, Terrence.
So I want to, before we go, if you've enjoyed today's conversation, make sure you like us, share, comment, uh, ask us difficult questions, anything that you feel you'd, you'd benefit from, go ahead and do so. Uh, but before we go, I wanted to take a note to preempt next week's conversation. Next week, we have the author of, and I'm going to read this to make sure I don't get them all wrong because he's an extensive author, uh, Moments of Magic, The Loyal Customer, The Cult of the Customer, The Amazement Revolution, Amaze Customers Every Time, Be Amazing or Go Home, and The Convenience Revolution. I had a few of them memorized, not all of them, but his name is Shep Hyken. He's a customer service and experience expert and the chief amazement officer of, of, of excuse me, Shepherd Presentations. Uh, he's a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. And obviously next week's conversation is going to be extremely, extremely interesting. So make sure you join I Advise in our conversation with series with Shep Hyken next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. And thank you all for the time today. Looking forward to meeting you next week.